Stephen Drew from the Architecture Social and today it's a Friday but we're going international because it's all about being connected to people worldwide and that's what I love. We're online, you can meet people all the time from different backgrounds, different walks of life which is equally inspiring. So today on the Architecture Social podcast I have a fantastic guest Evelyn Lee who is all the way from San Francisco, California. I was just looking on your LinkedIn there, amazing, right? And so Evelyn Lee, she actually works in Slack, uh, but more than that, she's a founder of Practice of Architecture and has an amazing background in architecture and now, you know, doing all the digital tech in the world. So Evelyn, I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for that introduction, Stephen. It was really hard to summarize your awesome career in one go because we've got the digital side of things, your background in programming, but you you have a love of architecture, which is amazing. So, Ellen, do you want to just quickly expand upon uh, what uh, the introduction, maybe summarize a little bit about uh, where you're at at the moment, and then we can wind the clocks back after that? Yeah, certainly. So... Um... I am a licensed architect. I think I'm the only licensed architect working at Slack Technologies. Um, wow. We are, have 3,000 people there, but I actually work on the employee experience side. So how do you, how do we inform a better employee experience for our employees going forward? And a lot of the work mm -hmm. that I am focused on right now is what does the future of work look like, right? Slack in spite of our tool, we were uh, only 5% of our company was remote before the pandemic. So really? now we've made this declaration, this public declaration that we are a digital first company. So we're still trying to understand and really define what that means for us and what that means for not only our office space, but how we continue to grow um, what the office is and how we work together as a as we become more distributed. Amazing. And so for anyone that hasn't used Slack before, I've used it for a few years. It's a great a platform to talk to people online. And as you said, uh, it's really interesting to see from a use that you're involved in the user experience of it. And I will say on the record, I always felt it was quite slick. So it, it, it's, I reckon you're doing a pretty good job in there, but let's, well, let's wind the clocks back. So while you're in that digital technology space at the moment, so you studied architecture and I can see that um, here in your background because I've got LinkedIn app as well. You've got <laughs> so much experience uh, where you volunteered in the AIA and all that involvement. So do you want to just start back on many years ago? So at some point you felt like you wanted to study architecture, right? We all we all had that thing. Right, absolutely. Where did it start with you? I was. I think I was one of those crazy kids, right, that I knew <laughs> in fourth grade. The story goes and... Um, I'm glad this is a, a, an extended new audience for me because I know I've told this story before, but you know, fourth grade, my teacher is like, build, draw your dream house. And everybody tends at that age to draw an elevation. Right. But I am immediately remember drawing and plan and this might give my age away, but like putting a Nintendo in every single room, not <laughs> even a super Nintendo, right. To play with. So so that was kind of my my first experience of it. And then from then on out, I every time we went to the grocery store on the weekends, I would pick up these, you know, those plan magazines and I'd just flip through them. Um, 
And, and that was really my aspiration. And I knew from a very young age that I always wanted to be an architect. And then, of course, I think after you get to what the realities of that really entails um, and finding out more, uh, that's I, that's when I began to question my career path. But it was it, it was so I was I went and got my Bachelor of Architecture. I went and got my MArc uh, from SciArc mostly because I wanted to come back and teach, which I haven't had the opportunity to do in a formal education mm. setting. And then I went into to practice. So I worked for a big box, a, a firm doing big box. So I know in, if you walk into, I don't know if you guys have Home Depots there. I don't know what the equivalent would Similar. be. Similar. We've got the big IKEAs and here you have like a, what's called B&Q, which okay. is the... Yeah, which is the equivalent. Good old B and Q. <laughs> okay, so this, so I would like be able to probably walk into B and Q, tell you where every single <laughs> rack is located, whether or not the restrooms have been mirrored, um, and then we always joked that we like the there's some sites that we delivered cheapo depots because it was like just out of box with like no frills, and then you know. It, some sites we got to actually do, I don't know, EFIS details, which was more exciting. So those were not the cheapo details. Um, and then I, I did community buildings and schools because I thought that was going to be so much more fulfilling than big box stores. And I just, I felt really disengaged because I, architects want to be able to design for the end user. And I felt like I never mm. got to talk to the end user, um, right. even though I was doing schools um, and colleges and community buildings. So so I left. Um, I went and worked for a friend who was running a nonprofit organization called Public Architecture. It's since dissolved. But at the time, I ran a program that asked architects to give 1% of their billable hours towards the public good pro bono. We did have some international representation on that list. But if you think about it, that means collectively we would have formed the largest pro bono design agency um, there right. is for architecture design. And my experience there was that it was 2006, 2007. Architects were doing really well at that time. They were more than happy to give their hours away, but the nonprofits didn't understand what architects right. did, which I think we can all relate to our clients not fully appreciating our full extent of our capabilities. And I realized I didn't have the vocabulary, right, that I needed to kind of really talk about our value to these potential clients and how you don't how we can integrate and we we can come in before you even decide whether or not you need a building and we can change mm. their existing space to get more money from founders or to support their operations better. So I went back to school, got my MBA, got my MPA, came out um, and joined an architecture firm that had a strategy group. And I helped lead that strategy group for five years. And what was really interesting was it was a medium sized firm and they developed the strategy group because they believed architects get involved with their clients too late in the process. Usually we're invited when an, RF, when, when an RFI comes out, right? Or an RFP mm. comes out, that's our first engagement. But how can we help them decide whether or not they even need to go to an RFI and RFP, better understand how they use their spaces and, and get in ahead of that decision-making process. And that's where the strategy group came in. So we did everything from replan, 
um, library systems, like help right. reprogram library systems and communities to help restructure entire school districts, um, helping decide actually what elementary schools to close down in a district. That's pretty contentious. Um, to helping helping workplaces ultimately decide how much space they need, how many conference rooms they need, um, whether or not everyone needs desks. And then I left and I, and I went to workplace consulting um, for the Savile Studleys and the Newmark Knight Franks. And I know mm. you guys at least have both of those out in your direction. <laughs> Absolutely. I've worked with Savile's as a, that's a big company, isn't it as well? International. Uh, yes. So I was with them on the, the, there's a brokerage side and there's a consulting side. So I, I mm. was with Savile's on the consulting side. Um, and then my team went to Newmark Knight Frank and then, and then I landed internally at, at Slack. So really supporting all the needs of our 3000 employees. And I hope to continue to do so when we we're, we're in the process of getting acquired by Salesforce. That's pretty public information. So my oh, really? world, my uh, world might change come, come the acquisition. Um, but I am hoping that it only gets bigger. Amazing. That's so cool. It's such a, I love the journey across there, the organic journey across, as you said, the going across workplace and, and Savills and, and, and then, you know, you're at Slack and it all kind of connects in a, in a weird and wonderful way. What's really interesting and liberating, I guess, from the outside perspective is that what I love about your career trajectory and for anyone listening here, it's non-conventional in an awesome way. Like it makes complete sense and it can also seem like, wow, how is that possible? But on the other hand, it makes complete sense for someone from an architectural background and workplace to be at Slack and be designing the user interface. But what I love is that it's perhaps a career trajectory that most people haven't thought of because I think that one of the preconceptions in the UK is that is that there's like this uh, defined path as an architect and to go off it seems crazy. So, you know, you you study and then you, you work in practice and then you get qualified and then you, you keep going up and up and up. And it was a similar thing for me, Evelyn. I remember when I kind of, I didn't want to get um, qualified in the UK. And I was like, I, I still want to be in the industry. Mm -hmm. I just want to do things a bit differently. And at the time I was a little bit, I was a little bit nervous to talk about it because I had one or two dear friends and they were just like, Steve, have you gone crazy now? Come on, come back. You need to get qualified. You need to do different things. But actually what I love is that uh, you can make an impact doing things differently. And I love Absolutely. seeing that throughout your career as well in Slack. And I can see that you've had your own blog before and various other things. Is that similar then in the US that there's a conventional path for architects or do you, or do you find that it's a bit more liberal compared to no, the I, UK. No, there's, there's definitely a conventional path. And I think it's, um, and I was really engaged in the AIA when I was going through the licensure process. And I, I mm. mean, I, I got licensed on the outset and I'm, I'm still very engaged in the AIA. We can talk about why, if you'd like. But mm. um, the, you know, I was on the national board. I was associate director to the national board at that time. And I had past presidents who are mentors. I had, um, you know, mentors all over the U.S. And they're like, what are you doing? Why are you stepping away from architecture? Uh, mm. At that point in my life, I had just really hit a wall um, because because I, I felt I joined architecture and 
and pursued it because it was it's so meaningful again to like yeah here I am building space as for students of the future um but then really kind of disappointed in what the actual rea- realities of of being an architect for a school really meant um mm. especially all the hoops you have to jump through in California so and then but then at that point right I'm <clears throat> I've sunk 6 years into my my education, my higher education, and I've sunk an additional four or five years in practice. So how um, I think I think we need to get out of our own way, right? Like, oh my gosh, yeah. I spent all this time on this career path, but even from school, we're taught like really the only career path after school. Even though people say, oh, you you have an architecture degree, you can do anything the the career path that people really talk about is the only way to make it in architecture is to pursue partnership right in a firm or start your own firm yeah yeah so there there is like so i think we set ourselves up in this like very narrow field and even when people talk about stepping away from traditional practice it's funny to me because they are like well i'm going to go into construction administration, or I'm going to go into, like, I'm going to go to the manufacturer side. But it's so, it's, it, it, it ties very much closely back to traditional practice. Like, we have a very hard time unboxing, like, here are all the skills that we've gained, and how can we apply that to other avenues of work? Um, so mm. that's, it's a little bit of, we need to get out of our own way, of, but, um, but there's definitely ex, like added external forces, I think, in the profession saying this is the only way to find success and still be an architect. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that this, what I find is that, and we were in one of the conversations, weren't we, on Clubhouse, where actually I do think you're right that this preconception, it's slowly starting to change. And I think that uh, and it will be interesting. So with Reba, actually, and I'll probably this is probably an announcement, Evelyn. But you'll, you'll, uh, hopefully, you'll enjoy this. Is that there's a Reba Council of in the UK. Everyone can apply for a position, and one of the positions and the seat on the council is for an associate position, and that means that someone like me can apply for it. So I think I'm going to run for it. And why not, right? Because and you I should. Feel yeah, well, yeah, I, I'm going to do it. So I was like, I spoke to a few of my friends and they're like, oh my gosh, you're going to do it? And then and then I had the same reaction. I was just like, well, look, you know, I Why can, not? I, I'll, I'll, you know, I can't, I can be professional. But then what I love about that seat was that associate um, position is a really strange, because I'm not qualified, even though I did five years. And and I think people can get lost in the system. And hopefully, like, we'll touch upon what you do with practice in architecture, which is amazing. And I love what I do, but with the architecture social. Mm -hmm. And you can really touch base with a lot of people and make a difference in an unconventional way. And I think that's really important. And another good example is, uh, I have believe we talked about it before but for anyone that doesn't know the architecture social is built on a platform called the mighty networks that's the community part of it and it was really interesting that the the person who designs it so is actually an uh, ex-architect as well so i was i was watching his update and he was like right so i here's my demo of uh, a conceptual community called californian architects and here's all the updates and when i was watching it i was like 
this is the architecture social. So I reached out, he said, oh, that's great. And it was a really, really small world. But I love the fact of that architects can, and architectural professionals, architecture students, you can go and do amazing stuff. And actually, one of my best friends was studying architecture. He is a front-end UX designer in the UK. So, and, and, and it was interesting. He said that because of his design skills, he could approach tasks that not a lot of the programmers could do. And it, and it, it had an immense value in the role. And like you said, uh, while architects can transition to client side, they can work for a developer. Actually, I love what you're on about because you're right that that's, that is different, but it is close as well. You can right. also do amazing stuff as well. I actually know of a hairdresser that used to be an architect and because of the way he, was because he was an architect, he would cut hair in sections and yeah, it's so differently. And, and maybe that there's like a little part of that, or maybe right. there was marketing part of it. And I love the fact that he brought his past into a current business and it was highly successful. Why wouldn't you want a haircut by an architect, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so. I mean, yeah, so I, I, I love this like liberating vibe and that's why I find really inspiring from what you've done. And um, let's, if, if you don't mind, I would love to talk about the practice of architecture for a bit as well, because there's so much going on with that. You've been doing it for eight years, which is amazing. And kind of on, uh, you do it in addition to what you do on Slack as well. So for anyone that um, has no, is not familiar with the practice of architecture, do you want to tell us a little bit about what it's about first? Yeah, so and the practice of architecture has gone through multiple pivots, right? Um, which I think is good. It's healthy uh, to c continue to pivot. But um, I, I had been engaged in the AIA long enough to see the wheel come full circle, right? To see like right. us continuously complain, even after a decade of service, we give too much away, um, yeah. you know, like all the things that you usually hear architects complain about. Our clients don't value us, um, yeah. you know, we need, and then, and then of course, even at the entry level, like we need to get paid more, but then I have to ask, well, why aren't you getting paid more? Clients don't value us. Okay, well, why don't clients value us? And you kind of have to keep asking why to actually drill down to the real reason. But, um, you know, for me, the practice of architecture is really, and I've said this a few times, and I, you can find it probably in print on Archonnect, I think, but I've opened up some talk saying, you know, the, pra the practice of architecture is three recessions away from being extinct because, and there's, wow. no real, there's no real science behind that, but it's the notion that every time we, we fall into a recession, because architects are subject to one of the most historically cyclical economic cycles ever. Mm. There's always time when our clients are building. There's always time when our clients aren't building. And when our clients aren't building, but especially during recessions, pandemics, what have you, we lose sometimes a full generation of architects. Um, and we don't ever recapture them into the profession. So how do we deliver services and value to our clients that means that we can continue to make money even when they aren't mm. building and expand the value of what we do it's always interesting for me to hear at least in america you know there's this desire from principals of firms like i want to be that first person that 
that when my clients call, no matter what their problem is. But unless you're delivering on a, on a, a wider value proposition, you're never going to be the first person they call unless they know that mm. you can respond to problems outside of just purely their building needs. So, so that's, so it's expanded, right? Um, right now we're really focused on helping firms transition successfully to a mm. more flexible work after the pandemic. Um, right. I have found that architects, I feel, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to try to be more flexible upon reentry. And then the partners are going to say this isn't working and it's going to very quickly go back to life as normal. Right. Okay. I can see, I can see that as well. It's, it's a 50, 50, isn't it? It's like the, um, because what I would say, Evelyn, and working in recruitment is you were right before the pandemic, I would speak to a few people, a few talented people. And they were like, what do you think about the possibility, Steve, of me working remotely? And they said, I used to say to them, and with a smile and a wink, I would say, keep <laughs> dreaming, my friends. I mean, right. I, I know you'd love it. And I know that you could do it online, but it's not me. It's the practice owner who sets the terms of engagement. And I would find that even part-time roles were really uh, hard to get. You had to be like, you would know the old business owner for years. You built a rapport. Right. And perhaps it was, you know, a, a mother who was, you know, picking up kids and stuff. And it was only because of, the wealth of like um, rapport that's built over the years that maybe you would get this Might, situation. Right. Or yeah, you've had to worked in a firm for like 10 years before they like allow you to go work. Yeah, exactly. Remotely. And and even in this part-time role then I would say, and look, we will, we're talking like in an abstract sense yes. based upon anecdotal sense based upon uh -huh. my experience and <laughs> recruitment. But what I would see is that the downside then of these kind of, flexible roles is that I think that the, the the psychology was that you were indebted to the employer or and therefore actually people in these flexible arrangements they wouldn't get paid as much and what's and 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 I think that what's interesting the one good thing about the coronavirus is that it completely smashed it out of the park for that I mean it was awful in one sense that recruitment and when I was in it it died and you know that I mean I was on the government scheme and the upside of that, though, is it brought out creativity, and that's where the architecture social right. came. And but what in terms of architecture, uh, what's interesting is it completely smashed the perception of we have to be in an office because businesses were still doing deadlines, they were still getting to places, and there was a there was things going out the door, and there was yes, there was less projects, but businesses didn't collapse, and actually right. a lot of people I spoke to, like uh, there's one or two directors that they were like, Steve, I love it because I'm not spending an hour traveling to a meeting and mm -hmm. just to be there and an hour back, I can get what I, what I need to do at home. And, and actually um, it, it was interesting that most employee employees would work harder at home just right. so that they could keep working at home. And it wasn't the opposite of like, Everyone thinking they're going to be watching, um, you know, I don't know, stuff on Netflix and doing the washing machine. Things were functional as normal. But to bring it back to your point now, the the this in the UK is very timely. Where there mm -hmm. is, I think that now it it really goes down to the practices beliefs, and so there will be a few companies that are like, you should come in, basically. And yep. then I would be really interested to see 
the ones that you, as you said, the and the emphasis was, is on you should come back to the office full time or part time or maybe it's okay not at all. But I have a funny feeling, and call me the the um the, the cynic in me will think that they, what would be interesting is to see if that there's a unconscious bias or preference towards people that will work in the office full time than those right. who want to work remotely. So you're right. I don't have the answer and we're on that cusp. I think you, it would be interesting though, to see where it goes. Because uh, it is uncharted territory now, isn't it? Where we know that we can work remote and we know that's a possibility. At the same right. time though, there is something nice about going into the office, but where's the line? And yeah, so it'll be really interesting, new territory. Yeah, and I, um, but, so I think I see a lot of architecture firms trying it, but mm. but doing so haphazardly, right? Like they're not setting up all the tools they necessarily need. Like they're not mm. necessarily investing in all the tools they need to have this collaboration happen no matter where you're working from. Um, mm. Or they're not, or, or they're, they're like, oh yeah, we kind of have this flexible work policy, but they're not necessarily fully committing it to it from yeah. a leadership perspective. Um, so, so they might say, yeah, you can come and go as you want, but me as a partner, I'm always going to be in the firm. The managers are going to always be in the firm. So the behavior says you really, if you want to go anywhere in this firm, you need to be in the firm, even though we've said we have a, we have a lenient, flexible work policy. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's my biggest thing. And again, I think it's architects getting in their own way a lot, right? Like we tell, we tell our clients to reimagine how they walk through three-dimensional space, but heavens forbid, like we, we reimagine how we bring on new graduates um, and mentor yeah. them from a remote position. You know, they're like, we need to throw them into a deep end. They need to be fully immersed and and picking up on all the subtleties that's going around in the firm. And what's so funny for me is I walk into these firms and all of their young people are like noses deep in CAD with their headset on. And I'm wondering like, how much are they really picking up subliminally? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I remember where I worked, they actually banned headphones. And it was one of these bizarre things where I was kind of on the fence because on one hand, it's like, oh, come on, really? We're going to ban that. But in the other sense, I got why, because you're disengaged, aren't you? And you're mini CAD world doing something and you're not you're not picking things up and you're not collaborating. And it's interesting, actually. So where I, uh, so I, well, I can talk about it now. I've just left McDonald Company and it's a great place to work. And uh, I actually tried hard to introduce Slack to the practice, and um, which is which is interesting because it's great and we saw all the benefits and we were international. But like everything else on the other side, what I saw is that it didn't work. It really didn't work, and it wasn't due to Slack or the systems because it was the best one out there. The talk it relied on people participating, and Using so we it. had the. Yeah, we had the opposite effect of it. it was just so I set it all up and it's like, hey, it's amazing. It's a section. Here's this. We've got the architecture team, we've got development, and we can put news and what's clever about Slack is you can get web hooks in. And so I was all there and with all the info coming in, <laughs> but no one used it. So it was like the opposite or the digital version of what we're on about now because um, 
And with that, actually, what was interesting is I had the managing director on board. But mm-hmm. what I forgot, it was people's behaviors and preconditions. And, and, and so it was the interesting thing. And, and you're right, where I wonder in terms of architecture practices, it's the same thing of you can introduce tools to emulate this stuff, but really ha- people have to be on board and it kind of has to work. So it's a really um, catch-22 thing. And I think like in terms of the offices, it will be really interesting to see. And so the company that... I'll be joining. They're going to have, you know, and the, so I will be working in, a, you know, in an architecture practice, mm-hmm. uh, helping them find people on board. And so part of the reasons why I've taken this job, uh, Evelyn, is that I find it a really interesting challenge in terms of how do you attract the best kind of people and how do you foster the culture? So on paper, it seems like I'm just finding people, but like right. you said, it's it's really deep in the roots because. And one of the things that was great so far is, and we'll see how it goes when they get there, but the practice has been super encouraging about culture because actually culture is how you retain the best people. And yeah, a little absolutely. bit about when you were talking there earlier about, you know, the practice not trusting people or they've got to come in. Actually, I think those companies in the long term lose because people go, they get burnt out, they go somewhere else. And actually, if, in, if practices can trust the people and give them a framework to thrive and, and engage with others and, and also feel inspired and can inspire others, people are more likely to stay, which bizarrely has, uh, why I say bizarrely? Because what's interesting is most businesses don't see the financial gain on like be, keeping people happy. It's like, oh man, right. do we need to pay for a fruit bowl? That's expensive and all this stuff. But actually I'm like, if you want to get a recruiter to replace someone, it's so expensive. It and, is. And, and, well, and you've, you've been on that side. It costs like 250, like, I don't know, Gallup said 250% of a person's salary. Like every time you have to go replace them. If you think about the bringing on a recruiter, the hours spent off of projects to go through the interview process, right? And then training them up even to company standards mm. after you bring them on. So... Yeah, it takes up a lot of time, and 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 you're right. I it, there's so many facets in in hiring people is an extremely time, and no one likes recruitment. As in, and 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 hiring can be an amazing thing, and you can get excited and you want to bring someone on, or it can be a total headache. And I'm sure you've been in that position, Evelyn. As you know, when you're trying to find the right person, or you got the budgets, and you need to get on board the directors, and there's so many facets involved. It can be amazing, or it can be a nightmare. So I always. I like to use the term, it's a job in its own right, which you've got to do while you do architecture as well. But um, it, I think we'll all have to watch that space really on where, on how it shapes up. Maybe maybe we'll have like another podcast in like a year's time where we'll be like, hey, it went, really, it went really well. Or we'll be like, oh no, we've, you're right. We've got two more recessions before the extinction. But so let's talk about a few of the things, uh, like literal things on practice of architecture. Because I quite, I had a quick look on Instagram and and I saw what you're up to. And, the, and one of the new podcast episodes, you've got a guest key speaker who is from Boston Dynamics. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, so we have, so this, so Brian Ringley, we just um, launched his episode on Thursday. So we launch every Thursday, um, US time. Actually, I don't know when it goes live. Every, we'll just say every Thursday. Um, we launch a new episode and we're shooting for 40 episodes this year. Uh, wow. But yeah, Brian, so we have a whole series focused on architecture and 
where we bring on people that have an architectural background, they may or may not have gotten licensed. In this case, Brian didn't get licensed, but he has landed on um, the robotic side on Boston Dynamics. And because of his background in architecture, he actually helps um, build that relationship with contractors and kind of what can spot the robot who... So cool. And just Google spot the robot. I'm sure you've seen spot you know, yeah. on yeah. YouTube so somewhere. Cool. Um, but how, like what are additional applications spot can have in, in construction? So he's actually primarily working with contractors more so than architects, but he's found himself, you know, working for the most advanced robotics team there is, um, globally. It's, I love it. So, I mean, in terms of the topic, because I've done one or two uh, podcasts about alternative careers, and actually it seems like a lot of people engage with that. So on that basis, probably a mini shout out. I know it's mid-podcast or what have you, but check out Practice of Architecture online and check out Evelyn's podcast because it's really cool. I will be listening to Boston Dynamics one because, yeah, I know Spot the Robot. so cool, isn't it? I mean, that is the future. It's almost a bit scary when you see Spot the Robot. It's like the, ter- you know, like the Terminator. Have you seen that episode of the Black Mirror with the robot yeah. dog? Because I'm just like, you can, I can see that, that like, we're fastly approaching that. But, uh, Glad, I, I gladly lo- they, they don't, they're not that fast yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that is a definitely optimist way of looking at it. But, uh, I, I tell you what, I love technology. I'm not worried about, uh, as saying, Terminator and Terminator 2. You know, Skynet's not going to kill us all. I think that um, it's super exciting, isn't it, Boston Dynamics? And again, what a nice, uplifting uh, f- a story to hear that someone from an architectural yeah. background is doing that. Another interesting one to listen to um, is, is during season one, if you look up our architecture and we had somebody towards the end of the season from Lucas Films. So she went out, she graduated from Sire oh and she, um, she was an artistic director on the Mandalorian. So definitely listen in on that one as oh well. Oh my gosh. The fanboy of me. A, I love the Mandalorian. <laughs> LucasArt is so cool. Um, um, yeah, the Mandalorian, it was really interesting. I think I saw like, uh, just pre pandemic when I was a lot skinnier and going to events and, you know, I had my seat on and stuff. I went to one where uh, Autodesk, I think they collaborated on the Mandalorian project with the technology, you know, the way how mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's captured because the CGI in the background is rendered in a different way. And it was absolutely amazing. Uh, let me just touch upon one thing you said there. So SciArc sounds like the coolest university in the world to me. I don't know whether it's just the name or... <laughs> I, I I think I was listening to the owner of uh, Archinect is like uh, from SciArc and he's a good example actually as well, isn't it? Of a, someone that studied architecture who's gone on to make an amazing platform, which does a yeah. lot of stuff that I respect and inspires me on the architecture social, to be honest. I loved his podcast and I got a mutual friend who knows him and apparently he's a like a really sweet guy and, you know, is, is obviously incredibly smart because he sat up Archinect. Uh, he's a bit of a computer gamer as well. Uh, so I've, uh, it inspires me with hope that maybe one day I can get to Archinect levels. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, they've been going at it for quite a while, but definitely. They've been going at it. What's really interesting and, and t- tell me, I can, I'll, I'll stop meandering. But what uh, I love <laughs> about Archinect is that the forum, right, is anonymous. People are anonymous. So it almost brings out that. Again, you know, we're talking about um, people's 
behaviors and workplace and all this stuff. What's interesting about online forums is that in Architect, everyone's anonymous. So you get the best, the worst. And I really enjoyed one of his stories about like, if anyone posts for reviews, and like they work, there'll be like that one guy on the forum who's like angry with life, who would just like tear people <laughs> down. And and it's really interesting in, in these online anonymous forums and like Reddit, you know, you just get the comments everywhere. Yeah. I, I'm used to it and, and running YouTube as well. I've got a YouTube channel where you'll just get like sometimes someone just, just rip into you, you know, you get the happy ones and you... And you will rip into them. But what's interesting about the architecture social, and I, and I try to get the balance right, and it is difficult sometimes, is that it's a bit like LinkedIn, as in no one's anonymous. But my problem is with LinkedIn is that I talk to you about how much I love the platform because I like that you can get organic growth. I like that you can really promote amazing stuff on there and get great visibility. Whereas mm -hmm. on Facebook, you got to pay thousands and get nowhere. Sorry, I, I'm not <laughs> the biggest fan of Facebook. Um, <clears throat> evil corporation. Uh, I like LinkedIn for that aspect. I just found that some of the content is a little bit boring, you know, it's, and, and as in to be informative, you don't need to be dull. And that's why I try to do the bells and the whistles and all this stuff. But what I love about your, with the practice of architecture, it does have quite a fun tone in it. So, Evelyn, I've got my mini rant out on my system about Facebook. What is <laughs> what is next on the agenda for yourself and practice of architecture, potentially? Uh, do you have anything you want to conquer next? Um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, obviously, um, so, uh, sorry, Rebecca Bookbinder, episode 19, is the, the LucasArts um creative Amazing. director if you want to go visit that if you want to go listen to that one but um and it's uh, practice disrupted is the practice the podcast of practice of architecture but if you go to practice of architecture.com there's a link to the podcast uh, yeah what's next like i said right now we're focused on um growing podcast growing the podcast growing listeners uh we have booked all 40 episodes almost of this Oof. season of this year um and we're not even halfway through the year so i i don't know we might be planning out into episode or season five already <laughs> here soon wow. and then um really focused on helping firms transition to the hybrid practice uh and then another thing that we're doing and it might actually be interesting to the reba guests um, uh, to, to the Reba side is we, we have another series on the practice of architecture talking about um, giving, giving voice to, to the minorities. So for last, last week, we actually just released one on Asian American architects focused right. on the Asian American voice. Um, it was a great timing because this is AAPI history month too. Um, but we, Previously, also did an episode focusing on LGBT, the LGBTIA community, and then we also did um, Black future voices in the profession. So we are going to bundle those and essentially create courses for firms who are interested in beginning to talk about equity, diversity, and inclusion and just don't know how to, right? So then your firm could by this collection of courses. And then along with the podcasts, we would have some structured content so the firm can begin to have conversations about what does this mean for the makeup of our firm now, how we bring more 
um, EDI uh, material, like EDI into the firm mm. from a value standpoint, um, you know, and how do we change our recruiting? So that's, that's on the docket kind of after I wrap up this hybrid practice stuff, which will be in July. So coming like the last quarter or last half of the year, that's the next iteration of what we're going to put out there. Amazing. I, I really look forward to it. So cool. I'm not surprised that you fill all the slots up yet. If someone backs down though, you know, I can always, I can always swoop in, <laughs> but right now it sounds, sounds like good. the quality's up there. So, you know, great. I think that's amazing. So we've, we've covered a lot now, I guess. So in future, I'm going to ask one, I'll send out questions in advance, but what I love about this conversation is that we've completely freestyle is from the heart as well. I mean, what, uh, what I would love to hear is your thoughts for, uh, if you have any advice for students at the moment, that kind of, it's been a bit of a strange time and yes. I would love to hear your thoughts or any advice to our listeners on for anyone studying how to feel or how to go ahead. If there's any advice you have, uh, on the top of your head, it would be amazing to hear your thoughts. Yeah. And then I think this is a bit timely, too, because at least in the U.S., right, a lot of graduations are starting to happen. I'm assuming that's true of the U.K. Um, yep. So I, I think you're graduating into auspicious times. Like, let's just be clear. Um, you're not only competing against your class, but you're competing against everyone who got laid off um, and mm. people from last year's class who are still out of work. So it's, um, I would say don't get discouraged, uh, at mm. least in the U S, um, with, with the number of vaccines that we have circulating, like things we're definitely seeing things starting to improve. Um, I'm going to throw this out there. There are a lot of architecture firms who kind of behave badly. Like you will send out a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, resumes and portfolios, and you probably will not hear back from a lot of firms. I wish that wasn't the stand, like the standard, but it is mm. the reality of what's there. Um, I would say really focus on, on firms that you really absolutely know in your heart, you want to work at, like make sure you're catering your resume, your cover letter, anything that you send over to them to, to showing how you are a unique applicant to that firm. Like put a little extra time in them. Firms can tell when you send out form letters. Steven can tell you that. I don't need to go deeper in that. Um, but it's also, I think, if you find yourself frustrated with the architecture profession, um, there is a way back. I think there's been great examples coming out of the last recession of people who have gone and you know, done even UX for a little bit or done something that parallels the creative industry and have found their way back from that. So if you need to broaden your search a little bit more, great. Um, and on, on the flip side, I think we have people like Steven, we have people like myself in the profession that's looking to expand the tent and recapture those people that go down different paths anyway, um, if you end up going somewhere else. So always know that you have a community. I don't think you ever truly leave architecture. We've all have that mm. shared experience of going through studio, you know, and the shared language of what architecture really is. So um, that will always be with you. This community will always be with you. Um, you will never be alone in that sense. Mm, well said. I mean, I, I should have tested my, uh, my soundboard before. Let's see if I can get the clap up. 
There we go. Did you uh, hear thank it? You for that. Yes. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna be like the last um, person on my season one, which has gone on for ages. So it's, I love I love <laughs> it. I've not organized it. I should have done seasons. So, but in season two, there'll be more soundboards in a professional tone. So thank you for letting me test that. That's amazing advice. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I think that, you know what, like you said, I don't regret studying architecture for a second. It's still one of the best things I ever did. And I've kind of gone on an unconventional journey. But you know what, It's I, I wouldn't change it for the world. And I think uh, that I constantly see people on the architecture social who say they want to go into writing or journalism, they don't know how. And I would encourage you to explore that. And you can always, like in a smart way, what you while you're working in architecture practice, you can build up your blog. This is a great era to do all this stuff. You know, if you want to do a YouTube channel, there is nothing from stopping you doing it other than your own energy and how much you put into it. And you can really, it's such a great time to do, uh, well, I know the buzz with is side hustles, but I think they're passion projects or whatever you want. I think it's such a good time to do it. So Evelyn, I think it's only fair in this podcast and this is something i want to do in season two where the person who is joining me on the show and i really appreciate and love uh, they get to ask me a question on the top of their mind so is there anything you want to spring on me or ask me wow um what is your hope for the future of practice like and we can we could go far out like 10 20 Ooh. years has has practice evolved and how? Okay, good question. You really, and I'm going to answer it super off the hip. So I would <laughs> like to see, if, like, I think one of the biggest challenges is a few, like, a large scale architecture practices, which I think were uh, built up a, a ecosystem on uh, unpaid overtime and, you know, hard work and graft and kind of this uh, old school attitude. And, and I, but I actually think that there will be a shift. And I do think that, and I've seen that there's a few companies who are quite progressive, do really well. So where I see the future of practice, I think we're at an age now, and this because uh, we've seen it online, people talking that there is a shift. And I do think that the, the oh, I reckon these old school companies will keep doing the way they're doing it. What I predict, though, is that there's going to be a few people that get ahead of the curve. And because they're a more fun place to work and they're more adaptive and more progressive, that they're going to get the best people, you know. And I think that's going to keep, I think that's going to be inspirational. So in my head, and you work in these worlds, so it might not be the best example. The kind of the Google way, you know, or what I imagine the Google way of. You get mm -hmm. smart people, you give them autonomy, there's great food, there's the people can 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 come in and out and do like a bit of their own projects. I think that this is the way that pe that practices get the best talent and keep people and that the architects are inspired. So I'm hoping we see more vocal stuff. And I think that the future of practice has to evolve. But my role in that, and I guess is it's an ongoing thing is educating the architecture practices and the business owners that actually there's a massive economic gain to it and if i can right. get that message across and that's the important bit economic gain i know as it sounds almost a little bit saddening but it's true the good news is though is that there is a massive economic gain to looking after people so to answer your question the future of practice i hope to see that the industry evolving into a, and we, we get rid of those preconceptions of, as you called it, and I haven't heard this word before, architecture. And I think that the 
You know, like Game of Thrones, have you seen it? You know, when it's like the shame, shame, shame. <laughs> I think that, yes. I think as a culture, we're starting to realize we don't need to um, accept the status quo. And, and I'd like to see an, a, a, any listeners here to empower them to, you know, work in a, in a practice which looks after people. And I mean, I was lucky that where I worked in architecture practice was good, but I've worked in a few places at the outside of architecture where I was like, man, this is no fun. And do you know what? Actually working in a place that is difficult is, is helpful perspective, but don't think that you have to stay there or that is just how it is everywhere else. Kind of take that knowledge and go somewhere else. And then when Absolutely. you go somewhere else, that's better. You know, don't you? You're like, oh my gosh, much better than that place. Right. Says the says a person who has a deep knowledge of recruiting, like it's okay to move around a little. Like, yeah, no longer yeah. is it like you need to have five years at each of the firms on your resume, right? Yeah, that's a really good point as well to touch on because I see two sides of it. So there was a point when I was jotting around every year, and especially when I was finding my feet. So I, where I worked in architecture practice, I worked for three years, but then I. I worked in one recruitment company. I left, I set my own, and then I did my own venture. And I had one or two of these years stints. And I think what's interesting in the UK, you can get a bias towards you. They're like, you're a contractor. Are you not loyal? And, that, and I think that that's slowly shifting. It is nice to say somewhere for an extended period of time so that you get to see the change. Because I do right. think that when you're somewhere longer than a year, you see what happens, what doesn't happen, what's possible. You see people change. You see people come and go. Um, at the same time, though, especially earlier in your career, I agree with you, Evelyn. It's good to shorter stints if you, while you're working out where you want to go is completely normal. And I think it can be really helpful because I've seen some people who work in an architecture practice for 20 years, and they're amazing, but they only know the one way. Whereas I, f I think if you go to other places, you learn that, this isn't the best way and you but you realize they oh, some things in this company are amazing and right. but i actually liked how this company did it before so i think it's um i think it's a bit of both worlds stay somewhere where you enjoy for a long time but don't be afraid to look around especially early in your career because it's like traveling then isn't it you pick stuff up and you learn which is mm -hmm. enriching in and I just want to, I don't, I don't, you don't, you can cut this out of the podcast if you want, but I, I do want to wish you best of luck as your run an associate director for Reba. I kind of oh, want to call. associate member. Uh, or, or associate I, I wish member, it would be sorry. associate director. Well, well, okay. So here I'm using, I'm yeah. using AIA terminology. So I, I do yeah, kind of yeah. want to call Reba out on this. We've had a student and an associate director on our national board for well over 15, maybe even 20 years. So get with it. Reba, um, <laughs> this is coming from an AIA national board member, um, you know, uh, so yes, I'm glad they're taking these steps. It's steps in the right direction. But uh, yeah. we also had a policy that called out like we have it written into our awards um, that there's a delegation. There's a declaration that all of our awardees have to sign saying that they do not do they have they have never like they do not have unpaid interns in their firm. It, you have to sign this declaration in order to be a part of the awards process. So another step that Reba could potentially look at taking. Yeah, they look at, I think that, I think they're aware of that, that this needs to be addressed and don't worry, everything goes in the podcast and, and Hey, I, I don't <laughs> worry. I've outed myself anyways. You should I be a director it. though. It shouldn't just be an associate member on the, it should be a, you should be a full, 
whoever, whatever associate they put in that position should have as much weight as the oldest person on the Rebo board. I agree. And don't worry, you know me, I'm not the quietest person ever. I will be respectful, but I will make a presence known. So, <laughs> and, and don't worry, I've outed myself to Reba. And you know what? They were really nice. So I speak to Reba Education is a particular team in Reba because they are a big company. And yes. Reba Education, I do admire a lot. And I've spoke to them and they really want to make change. And as you know, and I know, though, it's, it's, it's one thing to say that it takes a while in a big organization. The, a good analogy I like to use is like a big organization. Sometimes it's like the Titanic, you know, whereas a small company, you can move around like a zipper boat. But getting change in these big companies takes a lot of time. I know, but we're like, yeah. well, our membership has slipped. But AIA at its prime was over 95,000 members large. Um, and we definitely have our faults. I don't like I don't I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to say it is, we are where it's at, but, um, but Reba, catch up to us at least, please. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And don't worry, I'm, ca I'm coming for it. I'll be on the okay. ballot poll. I'll be on the ballot poll representing. Vote for Steven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need, I need like a good slogan. I'll have a think of it, but that'll be, that'll be fun. I'll do one of them videos where I'm like, vote for me. You know, <laughs> but great, okay. Evelyn. All right, we'll have a little roundup now. So it's amazing. So we've we've actually had a really nice organic chat. We've covered a lot. We talked about what you do, a practice of architecture, and all the amazing stuff and the podcast. And I do want to do a quick shout out to that. Where can we find that, Evelyn? What's the website address? It's practiceofarchitecture.com. Mm. Um, so one long word, practiceofarchitecture.com. There's a link to the podcast right there. If you're on your favorite listening podcast listening app, um, you need to search for Practice Disrupted is the name of the podcast. Ooh, such a good name. I love it. I get excited about it. That's awesome. Everyone can find you online as well. You're on LinkedIn. You're, I believe you're on Instagram. We're, all, we're everywhere. So you're uh, Evelyn Lee, you're actually on the architecture social, which I admire. I know you're busy, but uh, you're oh, you are around. I, I will accept awesome. direct, like direct messages. I will apologize to anyone in advance if it takes me a super long time um, to get back to you. But just you're keep, keep hounding me. <laughs> Don't worry, that's all cool. That's amazing, and I will get practice of architecture up on the architecture social website so people can find it. We will. We, me and Evelyn are going to sort that out afterwards. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for making your time on a Friday evening. An absolute star, Evelyn Lee, super inspiring architect and visionary. And I love what you do. And uh, yeah, let me know if you need me to sub in on one of the people if they drop out. <laughs> Thank you, Evelyn. Will do. Thanks, Dan. Have a lovely day. Take care. Bye.